We are going to continue a very important and relevant collection of conversations on significance because every single human being sitting in this room, living in this city, residing in this country and existing around the world wants to feel important. We all want to matter. We all want to have some level of I'm leaving a mark, I'm doing something that's important, something that's significant. The challenge, as we have looked at, is that often in life when there is a good thing to be pursued, often we misinterpret what that pursuit is and substitute something for it in exchange, something less valuable, in fact. You remember we looked at Solomon a couple of weeks ago, And here was a guy that had everything and wanted everything and pursued everything. Deep down, he was looking for significance, but he thought he could find that significance through success. Nothing wrong with success. It's just not the end of the yellow brick road for us, so to speak. So he had all of these things, and he sought all these things, and pursued all these things, and built great things, and palaces, and, and, and homes, and parks, as we saw in the book of Ecclesiastes. And at the end of that pursuit, that full throttle, all-out pursuit of success, he said it was meaningless, not meaningful. So is the case with us. Sometimes we are told by social media, by commercials, by by, uh, media, by Hollywood, by people around us, by the Joneses and the Smiths who are on the other side of us, that if you pursue these things, these particular things, they'll make you happy. But we really find that it's the significance that we're looking for. We have narrowed it down to three words and the the, the things, the areas of our life that will bring us significance. To be seen, to be heard, and to be known. These are things that money can't buy. These are things that the job promotion won't give. These are things that educational degrees won't deliver. None of those things are wrong, by the way. But the things that really matter to us at at the human level are always relational, always. So when we are seen by others, it makes us feel important. It makes us feel significant because in the crowd of and clutter and the congestion of our lives, sometimes we feel, well, like a number. We feel like invisible. So in each week, we begin by looking at God. And we saw that God, we were born seen because God sees us, Psalm 139. God sees us while we're still in our mom's womb. And so when we're born, we're already born seen. And then we grow up and God continues to, 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 to see us throughout our life. He sees everything. We go everywhere we, we, we've been. But we also notice that in life, it is not just enough to believe that God sees us. We want to see that love or that being seen demonstrated. And God had a plan for his love and his behaviors to be demonstrated through, guess who? Us. His perfect behaviors are demonstrated by by people who are imperfect, which is a miracle in and of itself. 
This is why when, God, when Jesus was sitting with the disciples in John 13, he said, love one another as I have loved you. In other words, that love of God is further uh, tangible for us when we're demonstrating it. When I forgive you, when you don't deserve to be forgiven, you're like, man, that's how God looks because Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, be imitators of God. And the reason we're imitating God is we're trying to reflect who he is so people on earth can say, oh, I see how it goes. I see, I see what God's love is like. His forgiveness is like. I begin to see all those things. So we're seen of God, but it's important to be seen by others. One of the things that we emphasize is what expectations can you have when you come to church? In the least, we hope that you will be seen. We hope that when you walk through the door that we will, we will see each other. And so what do we say when you come in? Hey, it's good to see you, right? It's good to see you. But there's another level that progressively moves deeper in significance. And it's not just being seen, it's being heard. Because again, everyone in this room has a story. That story has some significant chapters. Some of those significant chapters are, 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 are wonderful. Someone just gave me a, an invitation to a, a, a baby shower. It's a co-ed baby shower. I think it's my first baby shower. How come the women get to have all the fun? I'm going to a baby shower. And on the front, it says a boy. It's a significant chapter in their life. And they have a story they want to tell. Some of those significant chapters in our life are horribly difficult. They make us who we are. They build our character. They're part of the fabric of who we are, and we're designed to let someone know that story, and when our story becomes silent, we become less significant. So God knows our story. He hears the whispers and the nuances of our inner self, but we also want to share that with someone else. Finally, we now arrive today at being known. This is a very, very reserved place. And there's some things that are required to get here. There are some things that are risky. How we receive it makes a difference. And the reward of it is incredible. But we need to dig down deep. First, we begin with God. We're going to eventually land today in Luke chapter 19. But before we do that, I want to frame it by how much God knows you. Now, if I said, hey, show of hands, how many of you guys believe that God knows you? Most everybody's hands would go up, right? But to what extent does God know you? I think is important for us to either learn or remind ourselves. Why? If we're going to be imitators of God, then we have to know who God is and how his behaviors are. See? So if God, say, I, God says, I know you at this level, then if we're going to imitate God, then we say, then I need to make the effort to be known at that level and to know other people at that level. Are you tracking with me? So watch, let's begin by a, just a montage of different places in the Bible that tell us in detail to what extent does God know us. We begin in Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me. That's a clue. It's going to take a little effort. Have you ever searched for something? There's a lot of effort. I, yesterday I realized I've lost the fourth hat in a year. 
I just keep losing hats. I'm hatless now. I, I was down to my last worn out baseball hat, went to wear it to the farmer's market yesterday, couldn't find it, lost another hat. I've searched, I've searched, I've searched, I've searched. I hate searching, but there's a lot of effort. God searches you. It's a clue as to what is required to really know someone. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. Watch this. You are familiar with all my ways. Here's one thing that I'll never promise you, that when you walk in that door on a Sunday morning that we can really know you at this level. It is impossible to deliver those goods. There's not enough time and space for us to really know you at this level, to become familiar with you, so we're not making that promise. Now, sometimes you say, hey, do you know Bob? Like, mm, yeah, I know Bob. So unfortunately, in our English language, it doesn't get to the depth of that, that has a lot of different layers and a lot of different flavors. But to know somebody where you're familiar and you discern them and you perceive them and you know their thoughts is a different one. Uh, Psalm 44, verse 21. He knows the secrets of the heart. 1 Kings 8, 39. You alone know the hearts of all men. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. The Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. Isn't that the worst moments in our marriage? Oh, I know why you said that. <laughs> We're great motive readers, right? Mind readers. I know exactly what you were doing and why you were doing. Like, no, that was completely wrong. But God is familiar with us and knows the motives of our heart. Jeremiah 12, verse 3, you know me, O Lord, and you see me and you test my thoughts about you. And finally, Matthew chapter 10. Now watch this. Jesus said, are not two sparrows, just little cheap birds, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one single one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father knowing about it. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are more significant. You are of more value than these teeny little birds. You have great value. Someone came in this room today, and probably a number of someone's came in, in this, came in this room today, and you need to hear this word. You are highly, profoundly, deeply, eternally valued by God. You matter to God. Because society has a way of devaluing us. Society has a way of saying, you're not that important. You're just like another car in the traffic. You're another number on the chart. And God said, not so fast. I know the hairs on your, on your head. I know the number of hairs on your beard. I know the number of hairs the older you get in your ears and in your nose. I'm clipping all the time these days. And God knows every one of them. I clipped this morning. That's a little too much information. It is great to be know, to know that we are known by God. But I as a human being and you as a human being need to know that someone knows me. That someone knows what makes me tick the motives of my heart. That there's somebody on some day in the worst significant chapter of my life that knows the secrets that I can say this is awful. 
and I'm angry, or I'm sad, or I'm broken, or I'm scared, all those moments as human beings when we know just one person, and it doesn't have to be a lot. In fact, it can't be a lot. I've been researching, I've told you for, for now a couple of years, and it's fascinating The human beings don't even have the capacity to have this level of relationship with too many people. In fact, we're told that by science, by scientists, people, socialists, uh, social, uh, social studies, well, not socialists, <laughs> easy there, so, social, <laughs> people are so, <laughs> sociologists, thank you, yes, help me out here, thank you. I'd like to have a quick political moment with you. No, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. Sociologists tell us that a human being can have 150 people maximum. It's a typical number of Christmas card contacts. But then it begins to whittle down. It begins to whittle down, and it, the number is five. Five people that you can have this, including your spouse. So it begins to whittle down and say, you know, I can't have this with everybody. And, but there is a requirement. And let's begin there. There is a requirement to be known. There's a requirement. We now land in, in the story of Zacchaeus. We're going to be there every week in Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bible, you want to turn there or our mobile device app, if you want to go there, or the Bible verses will be up on the screen. There's a certain requirement Look, we all understand in life that you don't get something for nothing. I would, like, I would love, in fact, to be able to drive by my gym and feel exercised. <laughs> you know what I mean? You bet. I've actually tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> We want something for nothing. No, it doesn't work that way. There's a requirement for this. Now watch. In, in Luke chapter 19, verse 5, uh, you remember that Jesus was entering Jericho. Uh, marvelous time in, in the word last week. Yeshua and Jericho, Joshua and Jericho, walls tumbling down. There were walls that were built in that, in, in that city, and these were more relational walls, and Jesus was coming to seek and to save, which was lost, to tear down walls, to tear down relational walls. And or if you're going to if you want to be known, there's going to be some walls that got to come down here. And so he comes in, Zacchaeus runs in front of the crowd. He's, he has this want to. He not only wants to see Jesus because he's a human being. This is not just a textbook here. He's a real human being. Deep down, he climbs that tree. He wants to see Jesus. But I propose to you, he wants to be seen by Jesus. Here's a guy that everybody rejected. Why do I know that? Because when Jesus started hanging out with him, all the religious folk were like, you're hanging out with that guy? See, he had been that guy for a long time. Nobody wanted to be around him because he cheated a lot of people. And now he's in the top of a tree and all by himself. He's looking down and Jesus comes to, his, to, to this location. Watch, Luke chapter 19, verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot at the tree, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. This is the requirement. Now watch what happens. There are two requirements. The first one is this. You got to step away. You got to step away. And you have to step away, not only from the crowd, but from the group. See, here's how I think it goes. And from, from years of experience, on a Sunday morning, if we're going to be seen, we have to position ourselves. 
to be seen, just to be seen. We're at the first level. If you're sitting out in your car right now and, and you, you can't be seen, you do have to step into the room. There's some times when people will just hover for, for reasons that are hard, maybe natural experience that I don't want to be seen. But if you want to be seen, you do have to position yourself to be seen. This is what happened to Zacchaeus. He positioned himself in the tree and he stood above the crowd so people could see him. But then Jesus comes up to the spot, and now they're talking. They weren't talking when Jesus was out of the border of the city, not until they came close. So it would require proximity, as we looked at last week, to be heard. So my proposal is that we can promise you that we will aim and we'll swing hard at you being seen on a Sunday morning. But to be heard, we invite you into a group setting. Because now you can be heard. You can't be heard all the time on Sunday morning, and most of the time on Sunday morning. So you have to be heard. But now my proposal to you is that in order to be known, you have to step out of the group. You see, there were probably 12, 15, 20 people that heard Jesus say to Zacchaeus, hey, come on down. But notice what he says. Jesus said, in order to be known, we, I want to go to your, your private space, your personal space. I want to go to your house. I don't want to go to your co a coffee shop. I don't want to pull aside because I'm kind of well-known. People are going to follow us. They're going to gather around us. I want to go to your house. See, it's when we're, we're progressing from being seen to being heard to being known, we can be seen if we position ourselves. We can be heard if we have proximity with each other. Or we, if we're going to be known, though, we've got to get private. We've got to get personal. So he says, I want to, I want to come to your house. So I don't know about you. Most of my conversations on a Sunday morning go like this. I'm standing there, and, and some, one person comes across the path of another person. Someone comes across my path. Those are what I'm going to call across the path conversations. Like, hey, good to see you. I didn't expect to see you. I didn't plan to see you. There was no intentionality in seeing you, but I got to see you. It's going to be momentary. It's going to be impromptu conversations. Let's just call it what it is. Sometimes I think the church gets a bad rap, like, oh, we're superficial. Well, on Sunday morning, because we're in a crowd. What do you expect? But then you come across, then you come into the group, into a group, and instead of being across, you know, across the path conversation, now it's across the room. We're in the same room. But now we move into a one-to-one, -one, a table reserved for two people. Now we're across the table. You see the difference? You have to get to that across the table. So it requires stepping away. Here's the second requirement. It takes time. Sometimes it's really helpful to know the original intent of the, of the, the language. And you can do that as easily as I can. You just get a Bible program. I'm not a Bible scholar. You get a Bible program and just click on it and we'll tell you, hey, here's the original language. Uh, you know, so my value in your eyes just went way down. You can do it too. <laughs> when you see these words, in fact, if we can put the previous verse on the screen, when you see these words, Luke 19.5, and Jesus says, I must stay at your house today, it's a fascinating word, stay. The word stay literally means to descend on your place, your, 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 your private space. I want to descend. In other words, I'm landing and I'm resting. And most scholars would say it meant, because they understood it, wait a minute, back in the day, it meant I want to spend the night at your house. We think, oh, he must have just popped in for coffee. But Jesus understood 
to not, to, that to, in order to get down to the depth of the story with Zacchaeus, they probably stayed up until one or two in the morning. I, he just didn't come to find out uh, that, that he cheated people and make sure he pointed it out to make sure he felt bad. He wanted to understand, why do you cheat? What is, what is the motive of your heart? I'd like to find that out. I found out the secrets of your heart that you've cheated a lot of people, but I'd really like to find that out. Oh, I see. You're always trying to prove yourself to your dad. Maybe that was it for Zacchaeus. I don't know. You don't know. But maybe he's always trying to prove himself to his dad. Maybe there was something in his life that said, I got to prove myself. I got to be wealthy. I got to be somebody. Because maybe, maybe someone, in your, someone in your family or someone in your block, they were, they were famous or they were wealthy or they were successful. And you've just been driven your whole life. Can you imagine sitting with Jesus at a table for two in your private space? And he takes, he reaches across the table and takes your hand and goes, I understand why you would do that. I understand. How's it feel? It's awful. Yeah, I understand how it would be awful cheating people and being secret all the time. And have him look right in your eyes and say, you know, there's a better way. There's a different way. Do you think for a second that Jesus went into Zacchaeus' house and said, stop doing that. It's not right. See, that's the cross the path conversation. Oh, no, this is a cross the table conversation. It requires time. It requires time. It requires time. This is something we don't do so great, is it? When we give our, when I'm training around the world, I tell people like, hey, we've got these tools that bring people to a table for two. You'll grow in your relationship with God. You'll deepen in your relationship with one another. You can really have a meaningful friendship. And then I tell them it takes a, a minimum of a year to go through. A year? In a culture of, of instant gratification, that doesn't go really well. So then I'll say to them, well, let's take chickens. We've inserted into them steroids. How has that gone for us? Or we've tried to genetically modify our produce. How is that going for us? See, when human beings try to speed things up that can't be sped up or shouldn't be sped up, it doesn't go right. So what we do is we say, let's have discipleship weekend. Oh, come on. Come on. It takes much more time. Human beings require time. Human beings require privacy and space. And then what happens is we begin to know. Even third graders. I read this article this past week, and a third grade teacher in Denver gave a little assignment to, to his third grade class. He said, I want, to fill, I want you to fill in the blank on this, uh, this statement. And he was shocked at the response. And the statement was this, I wish my teacher knew, and they had a blank. I wish my teacher knew and fill in the blank. Here's some of the responses. I wish my teacher knew I don't have a friend to play with. Even a third grader wants to be known. I wish my teacher knew that I don't have pencils at home to do my homework. I wish my teacher knew how much I miss my dad because he left when I was three years old. Finally, I wish my teacher knew sometimes my reading log is not signed by, because my mom is not around a lot. Third graders are carrying around these secrets. 
There's a lot of talk these days, increasingly talk about loneliness. Loneliness is, is epidemic. It is literally at a level across every layer of every country that now there are even governmental positions. There's the Ministry of Loneliness in Great Britain. Just read an article about Japan that there, is, there are three quarters of a million young people in their 20s who don't even leave their house because loneliness has a grip on them. It doesn't matter that sometimes when people think of loneliness, they think of somebody who's in an assistant living facility living by themselves who's 87 years old and no one goes to visit them. I'm telling you that people that are 16, that are 23, that are 34 and working in their workspace, that by all outward appearance, they seem to be socially adjusted, but inside the part that nobody has tapped into, they're lonely. And there's different levels of this loneliness. And God is giving us an opportunity not only to show the other people that he knows them, but they're willing to be known by somebody else. So let's look at the wisdom of Lucy on Charlie Brown. I saw this little cartoon mix this week, and uh, I think there's a valuable lesson in this 10-second clip. Take a look at this. loneliness for a nickel I can cure anything can you cure deep down black bottom of the well no hope end of the world what's the use loneliness for the same nickel <laughs> for the same nickel that now watch this before we move on you, you, we have to get this together we have to get this we can't be heard with the same nickel as we have on Sunday morning. Sunday morning we can be seen, but with this same nickel, we can't go to the next level. We gotta get in a group, we gotta get in a room. And with that same nickel, we can't be known. And I'm saying that, I'm hammering that because number one, I'm angry. Just kidding, I'm not angry. <laughs> I'm hammering that because I don't want you to come to McDonald's and look for a hot dog. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you go to a place and you have an expectation in your mind, oh, I can get that from this place, and you don't, you think, well, it's not all that. If we go into our groups, into a room, and we think that we can be known at that level, we'll be disappointed because humanly we don't have the capacity to do 12 people at a time and be known at that level. I'm in a group of guys for about uh, six years or so, 10 to 12 guys meeting every other Saturday morning, and my expectation that they all know me at that level and I know all of them is ridiculous. I know two guys in that group that I'm very close that know the secrets and the motives of my heart. And it's, there is great, great reward. Here's the second thing. So first is requirement, then the receptivity. Not everybody's super eager to be known. You see, the miracle is that God knows us at this deeper level, but the real miracle, he still likes us. He still likes us. I find that to be the greater miracle. So when Zacchaeus is up in that tree and Jesus comes, look at the receptivity. Now remember, Jesus had been, this is the end of Jesus' life, Luke 19. He'd been rejected a lot. There are a lot of religious leaders that did not like him. But he comes and he stands at the, at the foot of that tree. He says, oh, come on down. And Luke 19, verse 6, 
So Zacchaeus, watch this, came down immediately at once and welcomed him gladly. You see, Zacchaeus, like you and me, had a choice of saying, you know what, no thanks. I'm not, I don't, you come into my house? No way. He didn't even give him, you know, this is against all Southern culture. Southern culture is you let people know you're coming and you let them know that you're coming in advance. I learned I never go to my mom's house unannounced. It's Southern. It's a Southern culture. I just don't like ring the doorbell because there are too many, like in my house, too many dirty socks laying around. My house is never cleaner than when people come to, to, over to, to visit. You too? If somebody rings the doorbell unannounced, man, there's a lot of throwing of a lot of items in our house. <laughs> They're shoving and kicking under the couch, like, hey, come on in. Hey, <laughs> great to see you. You know, even behind your back when you're letting them in the door, there's stuff being kicked. And I have two teenagers. In my mind, what's racing through my brain is, what does that guest bathroom look like right now? <laughs> I mean, it could be awfully embarrassing. You see, Zacchaeus could have said, I'm not ready yet. My personal space is not ready yet. But watch, he says, he came down at once. He understood, I need this. I want this. Come on in. This is what, this was his, his attitude. This was his mindset. Because the next R I'm going to talk to you about is the reason we don't. It's our biggest obstacle to get to the table for two. Here it is. Risk. It's a risk. I don't know if I want you to know my dirty socks. I don't know if I want you to know my dirty socks. I'm not sure that I, I you know, do I have to reveal everything like in the first meeting? Of course not. Remember, it takes time. And, and God just naturally over time just allows their safety to be built. But there's a risk there. But it's not only the risk will you like me if you know me, but there's a risk of not getting here. There's a risk of carrying all of your stuff by yourself for the rest of your life. Watch this. Psalm 32, verse 3. David said to God, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. This thing was heavy on my mind. My strength was sapped as in the middle of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. You already knew it. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. In other words, something was freeing. It is, I'm telling you, the way God has created our brain is amazing. There is a release of things in your brain when you share it with someone close. When you don't share it with someone close, there is this sense of keeping it all to yourself. You're carrying it all yourself, and it's like it's breaking your inside. So we confess to God. Is, it, is he the only one we confess to? No, we confess to other people. And it doesn't, it's, I'm not talking about a religious figure. I'm talking about a friend. I used to be a musician. We always wear all black when you're playing music theater and you're in the, the orchestra pit. I was in Publix and I, I was wearing all black and some lady came up to me and said, hey, are you a priest? And I thought for a second, I gotta be honest with you. I, here's my sinful side. I'm like, hey, this could be good. <laughs> no telling what she might confess. Right here in the cheese aisle, right? Right here. Could be really good, right? 
James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray. Those things go hand in hand. I still want to see your dirty socks to make you feel bad. You share yours, I share mine. And together we're going to pray for each other and watch. So you'll have healing. You'll have healing. Sometimes we just run from this, you know, we, we don't, there's a risk in being known, but there's a risk in not being known. Did you know in the U.S., by the way, that if temperatures get to single digits, that in most states, state troopers are required to stop to check on cars that are abandoned on the side of the road in case there's somebody in the car. So I was just reading this week about this Montana state trooper. He comes up on this car. It's single digits outside. And the car is like in this, it's a huge snowstorm. And the car is just in this, you know, this, this snow, kind of stuck in snow. But the car was still running. So he comes up behind the car. He turns his lights on so, you know, other traffic can see this. And so he comes up to the car and he notices that um, there's, a, there's an older man sitting in the car. And he looks through the window and he also notices this, this uh, fairly large bottle of vodka that had been almost finished. So he, he knocks on the window and the guy, just he's alert, he sees the, the, you know, the, the police lights, car lights in, the, in his rear view mirror and flashing throughout the car and he sees the you know, officer standing next to him so he shoves it in drive and just jams the gas on and uh, the speedometer is going 20 miles an hour, 30, 40, 50, but what he didn't realize is the car, the tires were just spinning. So the, the state trooper who had a sense of humor, acted like he was running beside the car. <laughs> and the higher the speedometer went, the faster he's like, keep it up. This guy thought he was running beside the car. Until the, cop, the, the, the trooper said, pull over, and the guy just slammed the brakes on. <laughs> Probably never got over the fact that he couldn't run from this guy. And don't you feel that's the way it is that God puts someone in your life and you know they're trying to know you and we're just kind of trying to, to speedometer and they're running and just can't get away from them. This is because God knows that you'll be healed. This is the way God, God is not one to want to point out all your dirty socks. He wants to say, you got them, I got them, we all got them and you'll be healed if you get to that table of two in the private space and you spend enough time, it's healing it's healing. This is part of the rewards. That's where we land today. It's part of the rewards. Watch this. In Luke chapter 19, verse 7, all the people saw this, that he took him into his house. Going to spend the night. So he's gone to be with the guests of a sinner. There were ripples of people that reaped the reward of Zacchaeus' willingness to go private. The first one is Jesus. A few verses from now, he says, he came to seek and save that which was lost. In John 17, 3, Jesus in his final prayer say, Father, I have come to accomplish what you've designed me to accomplish, and I've done it. When you are pouring yourself into people's life, like Jesus, and he had been rejected so many times, when someone said, wow, absolutely, I'm getting down from this tree right now, let's go. The sense of reward that Jesus must have had, like, wow, somebody 
finally listened because a few verses later, he's standing over Jerusalem weeping for all the people that had rejected his invitation. But here's one that took him up on it. We're sharing God in our lives, many of us. There's more rejections than acceptances. But when somebody accepts it, when someone says, man, I, I want to hear more, what does that do to you? I was like, wow, right? As, some, as a disciple maker, you're investing in someone's life and they finally start to be transformed. There's something about the giver that's rewarded. Not only that, these guys that are muttering, they were impacted. There was no theological argument about a guy who went in the house and came out the next day like, man, he was changed. Don't you think it had an impact on these rigid religious people? Like, well, I can't argue with that because this guy's been a cheater all his life and now he's changed. In the very next verse, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. Well, they were recipients. They got the reward. And then he says, and if I've cheated anybody out of everything, I'll pay it back four times. There was a law in the book of Exodus. You pay it back four times, and Zacchaeus apparently knew that. They were the recipients of it. But finally, watch this. In the very next verse, Jesus said to him, today, salvation has not just come to you. It's come to this house. I have lost count, literally. I have lost count in this church, in this city, around the world, of wives who have come to me, whose husbands would come to church, sit here on Sunday morning, but one point in their life, they were willing to come to this table for two, and their lives have been transformed. And the wife will say to me, it just happened two weeks ago. I was at a, a, an event, and it was a mom who pulled me into a, the kitchen and with tears, she looked at me and my wife, and she said, this private space, this table for two, wasn't her language, but this relationship has changed this family forever. Salvation has come to this home. You see, when the husband gets changed, it ripples into the family. When the wife gets changed, it ripples into the family. I, there's a family here in our morning service. They're still exploring who Christ is, but you know who led them here? Their teenager. Because the teenager got into a relationship one-to-one, -one, began to have their life changed, and that's rippled out to the family. Here's the point. Don't think for a second this is all about you. When you, when you are willing to jump out of that tree and come on down and go to the private space and spend time and allow God to heal you, that healing and that power is rippling out to people that you're not even aware of. It's not about you, never has been about you, but it starts with you. And that is powerful to know that you could have that kind of impact on other people. Jesus knows us, the whispers of our heart. The question is, are you willing, like Zacchaeus, to be known by somebody else. It's a risk, but the reward is much greater. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for the reality, God, that you know us, you see us, you hear us. It's marvelous. To the extent that you know us and, and see us and hear us, God, 
is truly mind-blowing. The motives of our heart, why we do things, the whispers, our secrets, you know all those things. But God, you know we're human, and you know we need to touch and feel and see and, and experience things in a demonstrated way. So you've given us each other in our imperfect, flawed, fractured behavior and ways. God, you still use us. So God, I pray for anyone that is sitting in this room today who somehow in their mind have, have curated this this opinion, this perspective that they have no value in this, in this world. I pray they'll be convinced today that you know them and value them and, and see them as profoundly significant. And we pray, God, for those that, are, that, that just want to be seen today somebody around us need, just needs to be seen. Somebody needs to be heard. But there's some people in this room that need to be known. Pray, Father, for an eagerness that Zacchaeus had to jump out of that tree and say, I, I, I recognize, I acknowledge now, I, I, I've come to a place where I know that in order for some brokenness to be healed, I need a table for two. Father, I pray, God, today for those who are exploring you that have come looking and perhaps in their mind they're looking for religion, spirituality, church, all those things, but in reality, God, they're really looking for you. So today, Father, I pray that there'll be a realization that it can only come from the inside out. Not from the convincing of someone speaking like I've been speaking, not the convincing of even a friend, but truly that light switch being turned on from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, today for lights to be turned on. To recognize, God, that you, that you already see us, already know us, already uh, hear us, regardless of if we know or hear or see you at all. You've known us from birth, every single human being. But we particularly ask you, God, for those who are exploring you and have never really ignited a new relationship with you, that today there will be this embracing of reality, which is our religion, our good behavior, our human effort will never, ever bring us in good favor with you, God. Because you loved us so much and we were already in good favor to the degree that you sent your son, laid him down, as a treasure to the world, but at a high price on a cross. And in that moment, God, your love was so profound for every human being, past, present, and future, that you were offering 
a gift and an invitation that if we would just stop our effort of human uh, behavior, trying to be good enough, trying to be religious enough, trying to be spiritual enough, and just drop all that and come to you with an empty hand and say, God, I'm going to acknowledge, I'm going to agree with something you already know. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm fractured. I'm, I'm imperfect. I have a lot of flaws. And instead of me trying to fix it anymore, God, I want to find the remedy in Christ to find forgiveness of all my sins by, by coming to you in faith and depending completely and only on what Jesus has done. I'm wondering as we're in prayer if that's you. If you would say deep down between you and God, God, I want a relationship with you. You would utter from your heart, you would you would whisper from your heart today, maybe for the first time, God, I really need you. And I really want you and in my life and and I know I'm imperfect. So I'm coming to Jesus today. Please forgive me based on his sacrifice on the cross, not because of my good behavior. And I want to just take my life and exchange it, God, for the new one that you can ignite in my heart. I want that to take place, God, right now. I want this intersection of this this exchange of life right now, depending on Jesus alone wonder if that would be your prayer. Just you speak in a raw way to God because he translates your heart. He knows the motives of your heart. Father, thank you for this time we sang earlier. You are our way maker. Thanks for making a way to us. And thank you for others making a way for others to come to us. So we begin and end the same way. We worship you, God. We love you. We thank you. We need you. We pray all these things. We give them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we wrap up our time this morning, I want to remind you that myself and some others will be available here up front. If, uh...